Welcome to episode three of One Man Ride. I'm your host, Michael Ward. Joining me today is Coach Chris Garland from Detroit Country Day uh, High School. Chris, welcome. Mike, how are you? Great to, great to be back. Great to talk yes, to you. Yes, I, I love having you on. We've had you on on the Around the Crease podcast uh, a lot. Uh, Coach Garland, for those who don't know, is somebody who I look to for advice. I trust his judgment. I trust his advice. I trust his coaching. Um, he, he, I've seen him lead young men and in, in, in how they listen to him and respond. I've seen him lead parents. And not many people can do the same thing that he does. So, again, I'm glad that he's on the show. And I'm glad that we have some issues that we're going to talk about today. Um, today is Martin Luther King Day, uh, which is a, it's a day to reflect on a, on a great American. Um, one of the questions that was brought up yesterday on Twitter was diversity and the growth of lacrosse. Some people may think it's a hot button issue. I don't think it's a hot button issue at all because I'm all about the growth of lacrosse. So when you look at it, uh, Chris, what is your thought of diversity and lacrosse? It's a really good question, Mike. And uh, Coach Starger wrote an editorial uh, in Inside Lacrosse about hoping coaches, schools, high school programs, kids in general become more involved in helping Harlem Lacrosse, City Lacrosse, Charm City Owls, Metro Lacrosse. Uh, there's Lacrosse in Denver, and there's the Lacrosse in Detroit now. And and I do hope more high school programs, people get involved in our sport in helping to grow the game. This is there's another side to this though, and I think you probably will know what I'm talking about. I think people are looking at our game, and it's growing rapidly. It's on television. The PLLs exploded. The ML, I'm, I'm not certain of its future. You see college lacrosse on TV more. And I think people who run our game, I'm, I'm not one of those people, probably are wanting more people to embrace the sport. They're reticent to do so because most of the kids who play our game may not look like them or come from places where they come from. So I'm concerned that we want to grow and diversify the sport in order to make it more palatable for people. I would like to see my school involved, my, kids I work with involved in helping grow the game in many different places. And I think you spoke about it before we got on socioeconomic diversity, growing the game in different sports, in, in different states. I think I would love to see lacrosse grow in urban areas and I would like to see kids more involved, but I want them more involved to just to have more people involved in the game that I love and I know you love for sure um, and not just have diversity just for the sake of well we're more diverse now we should be accepted and now we're on television they're more i mean in this instance more people of color playing lacrosse that's great however i want more people playing and involved in our game to take advantage of the benefits one of the things i think what we've seen mike is that these organizations when they're supported when people are involved they're sending kids off to great schools even kids who aren't playing lacrosse at the next level are involved in their organizations and they're doing great things with their lives. That's what I'd like to see more of more kids involved in the lives of other people. I think you remember the story a few weeks ago about the Notre Dame lacrosse player who, who sort of stopped, I, I guess, a crime. You remember that story? Yes. You remember hearing about this story? Right. Uh, that touched me on a, several different levels. One, this young man, because of his involvement, because of Notre Dame's involvement, their leadership, uh, 
in the Owls program. Obviously, the program is well-led, but they've been involved, a part of those kids' lives. And so that young man decided to do something different, right? He decided to respond differently, maybe because of his experience. I would attribute it to his experience working with that program. Why did he do that? He, he saw that kid as a human being, not as a criminal, but as a human being. Uh, and it wasn't volunteerism on the part of Notre Dame. I think, Mike, I've done that at other schools. You go downtown, you work with a team, you never go back, right? You've done your, you've, you've done your volunteer time. You've given them old sticks from your garage. You've given them a bunch of old helmets. You pat yourself on the back, job well done. You never go back again. Well, Notre Dame's done this a little bit differently. Like they had an existing relationship uh, that they've fostered for many years, and, and that's where it bore fruit. And that's what I want more kids and more coaches and more high school programs to start doing. You know, don't just donate your old stuff. Right? That's, that's an easy way out, I think. I think it's always been an easy way out. Uh, I'll just go in my garage. I'll go in my closet. I'll give you my old sticks. Uh, I volunteered. Well, I think people want to do a little bit more than that. I think they, they always have wanted to do a little bit more than that. They just need people to lead them in the right direction. Yes, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, I don't want to badmouth someone who wants to give away sticks. Some people, you know, are the I'll give money instead of donating time. And, and I don't want to bash those people because those people are important as well. Um, but about owls, um, I know owls. I'm familiar with owls because, I, you know, I'm from Chicago. And I, knew, I, I know they do a great, great job. Uh, Sam Angelata, I think that's how you say his name, who's the executive director, has a board put together of like heavy hitters and, and they are going out and doing it. They are out there practicing. They are out there getting players in the college. And I think that's wonderful. I love that. And that's an inner city program. Again, like you said about diversity for diversity's sake or tokenism for that matter, I don't agree with. But I think... And here's uh, something that I said the other day when I was talking about this with somebody. I said, lacrosse the sport isn't for everyone, but lacrosse the sport should be available to everyone to make that choice. Uh, and whatever it takes to help, and as I said to you before, be it in the inner city, be it in rural areas. I'm seeing kids play in rural, I can't say it, in rural Indiana, Iowa. Uh, places you wouldn't think. You go and you're seeing cornfields and you see a bounce back. That's a whole nother thing. In, the, in places in Chicago, if you go up and down Devon Avenue, it, it's like the Middle East. You have Pakistan families. You have a Syrian, Syrian. They're all at a field playing soccer. Well, if you could open up another, another avenue for those athletes to play another sport, that builds growth. That's what I'm for. More players, more players gets more eyes, more eyes gets more media attention, more media attention raises more money, which in turn makes colleges maybe offer more scholarships. It's a, it's all works together to get a bigger footprint in the sport landscape. And I see this is the beginning of it. And again, there are people who look at lacrosse and think it's a rich white guy sport, which maybe that had the, the stigma of East Coast kids. I think there are people who I deal with right now who are in the Midwest who don't really even know about the East Coast lacrosse scene. They only know right. about the Midwest lacrosse scene, so they don't see it as that. <laughs> they see it as a different way. Some people see it as this is just another way of football players getting out on a field 
or this is just another way of uh, this cool new sport they're playing. They don't even have that, that, that mindset of what the old stereotype would be, which I'm saying is a good thing. And, and, you know, that's, that's good for us as in the sport and they have leaders like you um, who, I, again, I know you've said stuff to your players. I know you've said you've had players say, let's go here and, and help out there. I know you've stood up for what was the team last year in, in Michigan who was playing in the first round with against Brother Rice. And uh, you're like, this isn't a, this is like a first year inner city school playing the best team in the Midwest. It wasn't fair, but, you know, I, did you go and help them out? I can't, the school off the top of my mind. I, I, Cash Tech. So Cash Tech. One, one of the, one of our goals this year, and I spoke to the, my athletic department about it, you know, at the end of the year, I have a performance review, right? Everybody does. And so one of the questions, and I think one of the, just, I think feedback uh, I gave the school was, I don't think we did enough uh, to help grow the sport in our state. And there are opportunities we didn't take advantage of this year. It was my first year, but this year, that's something that we're, we're going to really work on and at to help grow the game in, in our area. And they told me, hey, you, you don't even have to go downtown. You could do it in down the street. I mean, you, you could start off small and you could try to do something here. And then you could continue to work with new programs lacrosse from Detroit, other high schools. But, uh, but they, made it, they made it clear that, you know, every little bit counts as long as kids from our community and kids just in our county are connected with other kids and they're finding something that they have in common. The whole point of this, Mike, uh, of, of athletics and bringing people together is to break down barriers. And I think that game, our game has done that for me. I've met a lot of great people, been helped by a lot of great people in our sport. Uh, and I think once you do that, once you start to find common ground, all these things, and I know we typically talk about lacrosse exclusively, which I think is great. Uh, it's a respite from what's on the news, but so many of our problems uh, you know, really result in our inability to communicate with each other well, to find common ground. And going back to that story about the kid at Notre Dame, he was able to find common ground with someone who didn't look like him. And Notre Dame facilitated that. And Coach Cork and Coach Byrne, the coaching staff there, they deserve a lot of credit for that. I mean, that young man is going to go out in the world and he's going to make a difference. Both of those people are going to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's the whole point. Right. I think you remember, I, I always tell the story, uh, you know, I lived in Baltimore. I mean, taught at Gilman, you know, loved my experience teaching there, uh, enjoyed my time with the kids there. You know, when the, when what happened there, the riots, uprising, whatever people want to refer to them as, you know, that was a neighborhood I'd never visited, Mike. I've never been to that part of the city ever. I lived there five years. I drove down there just to see what it was like. I, I've been to different parts of the city, but I thought, Goodness gracious, this is several miles from where I work, and it's a totally different part of the city. Um, and we had worked with Charm City Lacrosse in the past. We had done a lot with them, which I thought was really positive. But I think getting back to the original point, and you're right, Mike, giving money matters. These organizations need help. Time matters. Equipment matters. You're spot on about that. I just think, man, what can we do? So the lives of the both kids and coaches are changed. How can I help other coaches? You know, how can I help those kids? How, how can those kids get on campus? Because it can't be one way for us, right? 
you can't beat Cast Tech in the first round of the state tournament, give him pizza, and then say we wish you well. I mean that doesn't. I mean that that doesn't seem right to me. Um, so I think you're right. We can do more, but every little bit counts. I agree with you, hundred percent. Well, yeah. I mean, like I like like we're talking about. There's 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 something for everybody to do if you want to help build it. And again, there are people who are who might be listening, who might be bristling. Uh, bristling at the saying, oh, it's it, this is social justice talk. This isn't social, <laughs> you know, this isn't bad. I, because <sighs> if I'm looking at it selfishly, and this how I, it's about growth. And this is where growth could come from. I've got, I came from a huge city in Chicago. Yeah. They didn't have, there's no, there, th- th- it's just catching on. Now, again, what I was talking about earlier, on April 14th in Chicago, Urban Prep, which is an all-black school, which is a great school, started by Tim King. Uh, I know him, know his family. I used to work for his dad. Is playing Kenwood Academy. These are the only South Side public league teams in Chicago. That's sort mm-hmm. of a um, that's a milestone. That's to say something. I, that's that's really something. I, I know Cat uh, Coach Matthew uh, uh, Wegg. I hope that's how I say his name. Who reached out to me to talk about it? I said I absolutely have to be there. I, I you know, I want to celebrate this. I want I want to see different kids who look different playing the sport. Because again, if we think about this sport, this sport was is, was the indigenous people of this of this land. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it started there. Uh, I think. I don't think I've ever seen anyone really disrespect that aspect of the sport. I, 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 I like the fact that most people sort of gravitate towards that and are proud of that, that um, where it came from. I think in the spirit of that, this is the, this is the game. This is the medicine game. <clears throat> this is the game that could help everyone. So again, not to be on a, a soapbox or anything like this, but again, on a day, like Martin Luther King day when we're, we're thinking about this and, and, and I, I think it's a, it's a discussion that's, that's good to have. It's a, it's a discussion that there's, again, like I said, some people bristle, but I wouldn't, this is, this is about growth and goodness for kids going forward. And it helps and it helps people. And you know what, when you help somebody, you're actually helping yourself. That's my thing. I'd rather give than get, uh, and I haven't always been that way, so I'm not saying like I'm so holy. I used to love <laughs> getting, but when you start giving, it's actually you're getting more in return. If that makes sense to some people, it does me. I've been a, a lucky man in my life, so I, I can never. I, I I like to try to do as much as I can to help out. And this little this this little comment, this little talk right now is something like that. But you know, I don't want to beat people over the head with it. I just wanted to put it out there and. And again, it was something that was brought up to me. And again, like talking to you about things like this, because I think you have a great perspective on it. Yeah. You know, if that or if this conversation or the things we've said have bothered people, they ought, they ought to look in the mirror uh, and reflect on their lives and maybe change tact. Uh, but I think this conversation will also affect the lives of kids who will say to their coach, hey, we should do something. And then we've, then we've, this, is, this has been worth our time, right? We can talk about, we're going to talk about statistics and recruiting and that, and that's all fine and good. It's great. I enjoy talking about that, but this is pretty important. This is the future of our game. And again, the big picture, people working with each other, 
to resolve differences, to come to a greater understanding. I think anyone, that should be one's takeaway from what we just said. But that's it. That should be your takeaway, in my opinion. But again, we can move on. But you're right. I'm glad we talked about it. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. Yes, that's uh, we're we're that's I think that's enough to talk about there for the time being. I think there's much more we can talk about at another time. For sure. But this was but this was about uh, when I set out like what are some issues to talk about that just happened to be one of them. Uh, the next issue might be a little touchy for me. Might be a, <laughs> might be a <laughs> might be a little touchy for you. Yeah. Um. Uh, it just, I got probably six, I'm going to say six, seven different DMs last night about an issue that's, that actually sort of affects me um, or it's in my world. Coaches, high school coaches who are in charge of a travel program and, and if there is a bias to kids who play and don't play. So now I'm going to give my, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let people know the coach of my son's high school is a travel lacrosse coach director, and he's also the varsity head coach. Uh, My son does not play for his travel team. Do I think my son didn't make a team because of that? I do not. Do I think it's possible it can go through a mind? I do. I think it's human nature. I think if that if, if your job depends on bringing kids in and that's your main focus, that's your main money maker. Uh, like Chris is a teacher at a school. Uh, if your main money maker is being this thing, I can see how you might get pushed. I know a lot of people from our program ask me questions about it all the time. And I just say, this is something I can't get really involved in because my son goes there. Now, what I say to my son, and he's never, ever, 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 ever said, oh, I think I'm getting shortchanged because A, he's small and he's slow and he was injured. And I've said, well, if you want to take that, even the guess out of it, if you're questioning if you're on the team or not because of what travel team you play on, I said, you get so good that it can't even be a question. I said, if you're on the fence, you never know. But if you're so good that that team needs you, no coach in their right mind would ever sit anybody because a coach's first thing is winning, especially at a high school. So I know there have been issues talked about it. And I know, again, Coach Chris Garland is a high school coach and he's involved with a travel program. Um, and I know that's all across this country because you know what? In some places in the Midwest, the best coach might be the only coach around. Right. So I know you had to deal with it. I know people, I don't know if anyone's ever sort of questioned you. I know there have been questions. So I wanted to get your idea on that situation. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So I I think I'll I'll start from the the top. Uh, If I was, I am, I I run the college placement. I, I coach several teams within the Cherries. Um, so, and I'm also a high school coach, you know that. I think people listening know that. I would never tell anyone who plays for me at the high school level that they have to play for me outside of school. Uh, I trust that there are other good, I know there are other good programs in the state. 
there are. And people can play for whomever they'd like to play for in the summertime and the fall. That, that's their choice. I know our program is pretty good. Uh, I believe in what we're doing. I'm, I'm confident that we help guys a great deal. But if someone wants to play for another team, that's their choice. I just think to use that power over a kid and if, if you in any way, shape, or form penalize them for not playing with you, it just – it'll get you in trouble. It just doesn't make any sense. The other thing, Mike, the chairs aren't a registration-based program, right? So I, I, don't, I don't get paid more if we have more kids, right? So Jake, Derek, they're not going to say, well, you brought in more kids from your school, thus we're going to pay you more this year. It was the same two years ago. Two years ago, it'll be the same two years from now, right? If we, if we don't have a team – it does what I'm paid does not change. It just that's it. I am a, I am a contract employee. That's it. It's I don't I don't get raises. That's it. You know I think if people want to hear about the financial piece, like I'm not gonna tell you how much I make, but like it's like I, I but also Mike, I'm a teacher. You know, uh, I teach at a high school. My wife teaches at a high school. Uh, my car isn't nicer than the car of the parents who play for me. So that's a dead giveaway that I'm not getting rich. Right. I don't have, a, I don't have a vacation home, Mike. So you need to know, like, <laughs> it's just not, I don't think people understand. There's not a ton of money involved. Um, so I just to clear that up, I think the second thing is, um, would I love for the best guys on my team to play for me? I would. But they don't have to. I know, as long as they're playing, that's good. You know, I also want to have a pretty good relationship with other club teams in the area because you never know if they have a kid in their program who's interested in my school, they may forward a name for me. So I don't want to cut anyone off. Uh, so I, I've heard of that in the past. It, I'm, I'm shocked people would get themselves in these sticky situations. And, and me being a someone who works closely with Jake and Derek as someone who helps organize and manage an organization like the Cherries, um, if people think, well, it, isn't that a difficult situation? I don't think so. I mean, because I know not everybody who plays for me can make the Cherries, and I don't tell them to try out. If they'd like to, great. If not, that's perfectly okay. You know? And, but if a kid asks me, uh, to help him find a place to play, that's really my responsibility to really ask around town and make sure uh, we can place the guy. He wants to keep playing. Some guys do, some guys don't. Yeah. Well, I get asked all the time about what travel program people should play for. I mean, I literally, almost every day now, someone will say, oh, what about this? The, the problem with travel teams, and it's not necessarily a problem, it's, it's the parents. And again, <laughs> I'm a parent. Okay, this is coming from a parent and I sit and talk with parents and I'm around parents all the time. When I was at the the box tournament last week, I spent eight, ten hours standing there talking with parents. Um, It's always seems like, oh, there's a better program. And it's always like, let's chase the program, which I don't agree with. Um, You know, my son, my son played for your program. He's played for another program, played for another program. The reason he's not maybe playing this year at Cherries, for example, was because I didn't know if he was ever going to play again. And I wasn't going to sign up in, in the fall and tell uh, Jake and Derek and you like, oh, he'll be ready. And then all of a sudden saying he's not ready and he's only going to participate in part of the year. Um, I was also lucky enough to have another program reach out and say, oh, if he could play and he wants to jump and go out east with us, 
to get himself ready, he can. So I was lucky because of my uh, connections. Um, it seems the, the, the main point is these kind of these coaches won't get the benefit of the doubt. That's the problem. If if someone thinks their kid is being shortchanged, they think their kid is being shortchanged and nothing will change their mind. Um, I know that I have a, you know, I have a look. I, I can figure out who's talented and who's not. I know who's good, who's not. I know who's there and not there. So I don't put my son in, in anything and say, oh, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. I actually say you should be working harder to make it, to make it easy. Um, and it just seems from the call or the, the DMs I got yesterday that it's happening. I, I don't want to say what states. I don't want to say where. Right. But it came from predominantly two states where it just seemed there had to be something going on. Now, I'm sure after people listen to this, which usually happens, is I will get more and more messages about, oh, this is happening and this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that. This isn't about tattling. This isn't about this. It's just a, an issue that someone brought up and it it. it does need to be addressed. I do know in some states uh, who, that are associations that you're only allowed to have a certain amount of kids from your school on your team. I don't know what, I know in Illinois it's that way. You can't only have a certain amount uh, based on this whole thing. So you don't do that. I don't know what the, the rule is in Michigan. I know there's a lot of rules in Michigan. Uh, too many rules in Michigan. I don't know if this is one of the rules. Um, but like I said, if you've got 10 coaches that are coaching a high profile travel team, odds are those might be the best coaches that you want for your high school. I'm not saying it's always the case. I'm saying it is, but I just know that a parent thinking this, he'll always look and say, oh, he didn't play for that team. Or the flip side is when parents all of a sudden tell you, oh, we've all got to go play for that team because this will happen because of that. I've also heard that quite a bit. Um, so again, you can't read what's in someone's mind. You can't tell what's in their heart. You can't judge them like this. I don't, I don't judge based on that. Yeah. Um, it, it, but a, for someone like you, for someone like the coach here, they're in a no win situation. So you just, I guess you just got to go ahead with it. And, and, and again, to parents who think their kid might be getting shortchanged, I could understand this. If your son is the best kid on the team, he's going to play. If he's top five on the team, he's going to play. If he's top 10 on the team, he's going to play. If he's marginal, you got to realize that he might be a marginal player and he might be a bench warmer. I've asked my son, would you like to be on varsity? And, or would you like to be on JV? And he said, well, I'd play on JV and I wouldn't play on varsity. He goes, so I'd prefer to play on JV, which put a big smile on my face because I said, that's the way he, it's about playing. Uh, I would like him to practice with the varsity. I'd like that, but still, it's a no-win situation for coaches, uh, and it, and you can't change a parent's mind when it comes to their child. So there's no real right or wrong answer, and there's no there's no way to change it, I guess. Um, so this will probably continue on being an issue until people decide to make a change or play for the school. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you, you can't you can't change it, truthfully, right? Yeah, I think while you can't change it, I think if you communicate with people about the following, hey, I coach this team. If you're interested in trying out, here are the dates. I tell our, you may not make it. 
you may not make this team, but if you're good and you want to give it a shot, you can try out, right? But I think you get into trouble if the only thing you do is that that team and you coach high school and you run a registration-based model club program. I think it starts getting a little bit, not necessarily a conflict of interest, uh, but because I don't think those compete. I think some guys legitimately look in the mirror and say, I believe in what I'm doing. I want kids who play for me in school, playing for my team outside of school, right? I get that. I think it'll help my program, my high school program, and this club program I'm running. I get that. Those interests don't compete, right? I think sometimes if you need people in order to keep one job and you're making them play, like you like you were just like you're heavily recruiting them, and I, I think that then you get in some trouble, right? You get in some trouble. So yeah. you're, you're, Mike, you're, part of me thinks you're right. The other part of me thinks, tell people, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. <laughs> just tell them, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not yeah. making you do it. You're right. That's, I'm not making you play. You know, you don't, you can play for somebody else. You choose not to play. Uh, I just want my guys playing, you know, I just want them playing. Uh, but I don't, I don't serve any corporate overlord, you know, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, that's it, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, when we had, we, we had this discussion few months ago on the around the crease podcast with Mike Loveday uh, and coach Benages and coach K from MICDS and coach K flat out said, he goes, yeah, it pisses me off when my players don't play for me because I feel like I'm the best opportunity to do for them. But then he says, but then I let them go out on their own and then they find out, he goes, some come back because they realize the grass isn't greener on the other side. But some don't come back. And he says, so be it. He goes, whatever's best for the kid. He goes, he goes, but yeah, personally, he goes, he takes, he, he takes a little to heart, but I don't think he, he's like, it doesn't change anything for him. Uh, I thought that was honest, you yeah. know, because he felt like he was spurned. And I could, I could totally get that, especially with the program he runs. I mean, that's quite a program he's got going on down there. And to want to leave and go somewhere else, I could see how you say, wait, I'm, I'm putting kids in college and kids are doing well. But again, he was honest about it. And I can see the personal thing about it, um, but yeah, it's it, it's it's something that I can't see. Cha- yeah. Can't see changing I, anytime soon. I, I try not to take club lacrosse personally. Right, <laughs> it's well, like well, it's like not personal. It's not really about me. Uh, well, it's just it's like it's high school lacrosse. Honestly, man, uh, and you know, people always ask us about the juice cherries. Its nickname, its logo. Like, that's sort of goofy. And and Jake has said to people. Isn't this isn't this thing sort of goofy and dumb like club look? Isn't this sort of silly? And they're like, oh yeah, it is sort of silly. I'm like, yeah, it really is. It's just lacrosse, you know. I think people take it more seriously than they really should sometimes. And like, there are guys who would not play cherries who who play for me in high school. It's just not their thing. And I think they're pretty good. Some guys will say, yeah, this is cool. I'm like, great, man. Go out on your boat in the summertime. Play for whomever else. So that's that's fine with me. Or don't play at all. Uh, I think there there are more important things in life to worry about. Uh, I love the game. I love the people involved in the game. Uh, and if I'm a high school coach and I coach kids, there there's a critical mass of boys from another high school, and their coach and I, you know, he runs a, another club program. I really like their high school. I like the parents there. Uh, a lot of our guys, you know, the Cherries guys play for him, and he runs a different pr- program. He knows it benefits his kids. He knows it's good for his high school program. He knows those things, and he's a good guy, so we work pretty closely together, and I really like him. 
so I think I just want to work with people. Your life's too short. You're, it, it just it's just, it's too short, Mike. You know. Yeah, I, totally, I mean, seriously, I man. Totally it's like, I mean, man, people getting fired up about stuff they shouldn't get fired up about. And I'm like, all right, now let's talk about reclassifying kids. This this is sure to get fired people fired up. <laughs> right, right. Well, that brings us right to the reclassified. Now, <laughs> it's like it's hilarious, isn't it? Well, here I'll tell you what's. I'll tell you what the issue is that. Uh, one one parent that reached out was talking about it. Um, they played in the box tournament and they played against Culver. Uh, and he was like, well, you know, it wasn't fair because you were playing against kids who might have been 20 or they should be in college or whatever. And I, again, I can see that. I can see that. And, and he wasn't saying it wasn't unfair. He was just saying, I, I need to know more about it. And then he said when he went out east um, to, you know, and they played the, the Baltimore Crabs and those teams. You know, there's older kids. And I said, there's the reclassifying where a kid's a sophomore in high school and says, I'm going to do another sophomore in high school and goes to a prep school or whatever, because he can't do it. I don't know. Again, I don't know about Michigan, but I know uh, in Illinois, uh, Ohio, you you can't do it or you can't play in a state tournament. Uh, You might be able to play, but you can't play in a state tournament. But there are people who keep their kids back in grade school or start them a year later. Um, which I, again, I don't have a problem with. If I could do it all over again, I would probably have. I would have probably started my son a year later because he was so physically small, and it wouldn't. And it wouldn't have been about sports. It just would have been. I knew what I was in high school, and I knew my son would be that way. And it was rough for me. It was a different kind of time. I mean, there's a reason why I got kicked out of two schools. It was because I was small and I had a temper about it. And it got me in a lot of trouble. And I didn't want my child to do that. He didn't. He sort of went the opposite way. He, it, it sort of bugged him and it made him a little uh, introverted. So when it came to the, when I've talked to people about classifying, they've, they've gone with that. Now, there are certainly other people who've said, I want to get a better advantage. And it's okay. I, again, my feeling is you line up and play who you line up and play. And what was funny as as I was talking, as, as I was messaging back and forth with this father today, I was also messaging with Coach Joe Spelina of Team Ninety One, which that seems to be the one that gets everyone's ire because they're like, oh, uh, you know, how old's Andrew McAdory, who was ranked the number one twenty one, and how old's uh, Joey Spelina, who's a twenty two. And I asked, I flat out asked him, I said, well, what are your thoughts? He goes, well, he didn't, he doesn't like the, the reclassifying. He's not for it. Um, his son is a young, he's a young man. He's a 22. He could have gone in 21, but he's a, he would have gone, he would have been in college as a 17 year old, uh, which again is, is maybe too young. But the fact that it's, it's something that's out there, um, You've probably seen it more, Chris, when you were in Maryland, because that's where I see it mostly was, was in when I saw the 21 kids we played a couple of years ago in Maryland and kids were pulling up driving their own car. <laughs> that, was, that was, I remember we were at that, uh, it was the inside lacrosse two years ago and pulled in and there's a kid who pulled in and drove right next to us and then he suited up and was playing and my son looked at me and goes, that's the kid that just drove here. I go, well, they... You know, they might be a little older. So what? Play them. 
And I think that's what the guy, the father who reached out to me, he was like, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying what other parents should do. He was just saying, what's the story with it? What's the idea behind it? Why is it allowed? So I'd love to hear what your thoughts about it are. Why is it allowed or why do people do it? Both. Oh, um, okay. So for some kids, it is the right decision. Either they make the switch from a less demanding school to a new school and they need an opportunity. I'm not, Mike, I'm not justifying. I'm just saying these are the reasons sure, sure. Uh, that people have used. I think whatever people decide to do for their children is their, is their business. Absolutely. Uh, um, and for me, I'm not going to tell someone they're wrong. So that, that's the one of the first reasons uh, he needs. He hasn't had this particular math class. Uh, he's not ready for their academic program. He wants to start over again. Uh, he's gone from this school to another school. I, I, that that reason I've heard, and, and I feel like that one that, that that feels that feels fair to me. I think the second reason is just birthday, um, right? He's either a, a is, and we want to make sure that if he wants to compete at a high level, he's competing against kids the same age. That one I understand, and I've seen before. Uh, so that, that that's the, that's another another reason. Um, now, some kids, if they'll leave their school, go to a boarding school and uh, another private school, they'll just reclassify themselves going into high school or um, f- for an advantage. Right. I think we saw this a lot more frequently when early recruiting uh, was allowed, when it was was what, what peak coaches did. So there was an, a decided advantage for someone to reclassify, be an old ninth grader when people were taking verbal commitments from those kids. To be honest with you, it, it sort of made a lot of sense, right? Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to deny the fact that people benefited from the system and they received offers based upon their level of play as freshmen. So those are the reasons why people did it, right? That's it. I mean, um, or... or what uh, people did it when they were their kids were younger. They they would go to JK uh, or pre first uh, because they weren't mature enough to go on to kindergarten. So I get that. I mean, I have kids now that that, that were sort of dealing with that particular question in my own household, right? So those are the reasons why should it be allowed? I don't know if that's for me to decide. That's for a athletic directors, coaches, state associations to sit down and figure that out. Do you want to allow people uh, or do you want to change the age cutoff for high school? Um, and if you, and if you decide to do that, that would be fine, but that could hurt you. And it also may limit the teams you can play, right? You may not be able to play some of the more competitive teams who reclass kids or have kids who are uh, a little bit older, Right. Yeah, and that's an issue. I want the I okay. So, I know in some states, you have to be nineteen. You can be no older than nineteen the day school starts. That's one rule. Yeah. Um, there's another rule where if you have reclassed and you're playing in the state association, that you could play regular season. You are not eligible to play postseason. I've seen that rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also said that if you if, if you get the opportunity to go to play on Culver Prep, and it might be uh, that you reclass. Again, I'm sending my kid 
entry classing to go to Culver Prep if he wants that. And lacrosse is his, is his world. The, the amount of coaching, the, it prepares you for – odds are if you're playing Culver Prep, you're going Division One. It prepares you for Division One. So I can see the point of doing it. I just – and, again, I always say you line up and play who you play, you know. And if you had to take that advantage, that's fine. If my son was born four days earlier, he was born September 3rd. The cutoff was September 1st. If he was born on August 30th, he would have been a 2020. Now, oh, you my know goodness. My son, he, he's a small kid. You would, you, you would have had to reclassify. I definitely would have. There's, there no, been, doubt, there's no doubt about it. And there would be yeah. nothing wrong with that. Not at right. all. And, and, and an example, again, too, is I have an eighth grade daughter. Um, she's four foot six, 68 pounds. She's going to Culver next year. <laughs> which has 5,500 kids. At, at least she has a personality where she thinks she's, you know, 10 feet tall, but I sit and worry about that. And and then I sit there and say, well, how could I navigate this? And I'm like, maybe I was too late. Maybe, you know, she's the youngest on in her class as opposed to my son. Mm-hmm. So I could see the different ideas behind it. I could also see the advantage sports wise. Yeah. There's certain, there's certainly advantage. Athletic-wise and school-wise, Mike, there is an advantage. I mean, I think studies have shown – I can't name them for you. I don't want to throw something out there that sounds ridiculous. But the better your children perform in school when they're young, the attention they get from their teachers, the more attention kids get from their teachers when they're younger about their performance in school, the more likely they are to do well in school and enjoy it. They're early readers. They're better at math. They're more – they're better dexterity. They're, they're bigger. They're stronger. I just think I've, I've read a little bit about some of this, so that's why – People do it. I mean, I understand. And predominantly people in the demographic of those participating in our sport, which is why I think we've seen kids mostly in Maryland and some other private schools uh, reclassify their kids. Some for reasons that we just discussed that are legitimate. You know, some for reasons that are they feel legitimate and they're providing an athletic advantage, which I understand, uh, which benefited people uh, a great deal when we had earlier recruiting. So, you know, again, if your state association wants to have that conversation, that's great. Um, but I, I think we're, you're going to continue to see that in club lacrosse. And I think a lot of clubs do it. Some, some encourage their kids to do it. Discussed, right? right. Some do that. Some, and some do it just to have better clubs. Yeah, I've seen we're that. A better team. We're going to reclass these kids. We're going to have a better team. We're going to win these tournaments. We're going to get more attention. We'll get more kids. We'll have more registration numbers. You know, let's get a bigger boat. Uh, okay, that, that's one way to go about it, and that's one way to run a business. I just don't know if that la- will last very long. I think you generate some ill will. Imagine, let's say you're a 23, and then you're close. going to reclass the team to have a good 24 team. What if you're a 24 on the team? What happens to you? You've been in that program. You just get cut. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that, yeah. That's, that's a hard sell, man. That's a hard sell. And then you just keep doing it. Well, you're a 24 reclass. Be a 25. You're like, what's going on here? Right. right. We, just want, we just wanted to have fun. We wanted to get better at lacrosse. Now my kid's doing seventh grade again. Like, <laughs> what, like, what are we talking about here, man? Like, come on. And, and what's the end game? That's the other part. I mean, I can see it. And I know it was a thing in Texas for years and years and years about football. I can understand it. First of all, you need to be big to play football uh, on the most hit. So if you need to stay back a year, that you're going to be even great. Also, 
you're going football, you're going college, you're getting a full ride. You might be doing some crazy stuff to get $12,500. Sometimes that's a deck chair off the Titanic going to some of these schools that are now $80,000. Right. Not like you're getting a full ride. It's, it, it's the, again, I think there's, you, you have to keep it in perspective. Um, but also, I don't ever want to tell a parent what they should do with their kid because I don't want ever want a parent telling me what I should do with my kid. That's so a fact. That, that is a fact, brother. And yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, I, you know, we have recommended PGing for kids for more kids these past several years than we've ever done so in the past. Because for some kids, it's a really great option. You know, it's a really good opportunity. I'm going to go PG. Uh, I need to get bigger. Uh, I want to get my grades. I want to improve my grades. I want another year to play. I'm just getting better. I have the means to do it. And I tell people all the time, if you have the means to do it, it could be a good option for you. You know, we have, we have a kid. He blew out his knee at NLF in the fall in the, in the like, all-star or whatever the showcase game was. And he may be a great candidate to do a PG year. So we've we, we've thought about that a lot more, and it's 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 one of, it's it's in our quiver now. You know, we we have relationships with some of these programs, um, and for kids, it, it could be a good option. It really could be. You know, well, that brings me up to another point that that sort of just a tangent from there about the PG year. Um, how many schools? Is, I mean, do you think how many schools for lacrosse is that available? I, is there is there fifty? Is there fifteen? I don't. You know, I don't. I I think it depends. I, mean, I don't have the exact number, Mike. I mean, there are some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Play, yeah. I mean, yeah. that are that are great schools. Uh, but you really have to have a plan before you go into it. You, you, I mean, all just listen. The bottom line on doing a PG year is this: it gives you another opportunity to play in the summer in front of coaches, and your club coaches got to tell those coaches. This kid's doing a PG year, right? He's going to be a 21, and he's still on the board. You just don't go into it without, you know, having some leads. You, you, you've got to do some work there before you even commit to that, you know? I think too, too many right. people do it without a plan. That, that, and that seems – unless you have the money, that seems crazy to me. You, you've really got to get in front of it if you, yeah. as a club director. You just got to get out in front of it. So I, it can I, be done. Yeah, well, I've seen it. I've seen it more in the last year, year and a half. Where, where when I see kids that I know from other states, and I'm like, "Why are you on this team?" They're like, "Oh, I'm reclassing." I'm like, "You are?" Or I'm, they're, they're, I'm, I'm taking a PG year, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, you know, great." If that's you know, but if they get recruited, then they're staying in their own year. It's almost like a play with the system. But I understand playing with the system. If the system's yeah. there and you can play with it, massage it. Again, it it, it shouldn't hurt anybody. Uh, especially in the travel scene where it's not about winning and losing. It's a, it's about getting better, having fun, uh, and getting recruited. That, yeah, that and, and, Mike, that I wish more people understood that and they took that to heart. It's, I got a funny story for you. So one of our kids, he's a 21, he was playing in winter league and some other kid was chirping him and said, oh, hey, heard, heard you guys had a rough fall. And we didn't win many games. But another kid said, you know what? He's he's committed. And so are some. 
of our teammates are. They've got guys. And that was it. it Stop the kid dead in his tracks. For sure. Right? Yeah, dead in his <laughs> tracks. He's just like, okay. And you know what, Mike? We could have gone 0-10 in the fall. Over it. Not won a game. But all that, you know, the only thing that matters is that we're playing at the most competitive events in front of college coaches and we help our kids. I, I don't care if we win a game, you know. I, I don't care if we win a single game. It does not matter to me because coaches aren't like, oh, man, your, your records, they don't care. They never know the score. I've spoken to – every guy I've spoken to this fall, man, what was the score of that game? I wasn't even paying attention. I watched this kid for like 10 minutes. They just I watched the kid. How would you, you guys do? I'm like, what, what? we lost by like 10. He's like, I, I didn't even notice. I thought you guys were winning. We lost the game by 10. <laughs> Ten goals, Mike. It wasn't close, brother. Someone's like, oh, you guys went pull that one out. I'm like, bro, bro, we lost by 10. He's like, oh, didn't notice. Le- legitimately said to me, he did not notice. I'm like, all right, there you go. He said right. And we lost doesn't, by 10. We lost by it, 10 goals. It thought, doesn't he thought, shock me. He, he thought we won. Because these guys are on their phones. They're checking their notes. They're making their marks, their tallies. You know, they're not, they're not paying that close of attention to the outcome. You know, but if a game is bad, I remember – we played in the game this summer and it got out of hand and guys laughed. They're like, this game's over. Cause that got over real, that got over too quick. It was over. Um, so I get that too. So I just, it, it's all about getting better. It's all about, you know, having someone who's there to help you navigate recruiting. That's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. Well, that brings us into the next question we had was recruiting in the Midwest. Now I know, you know, a lot about this, uh, and I know a lot about this. You do? You do? I do from what gets recruited and what gets seen. Um, <laughs> it's, I think the day you had, and I'd like to, exp- I would like you, again, this isn't a Juice Cherries commercial, but I'm just saying, I thought what you did the other month where you guys had a day of coaching was, was a valuable thing, which was, which was a, a great a great session to have. I'd love you to, to explain how you did it. You brought coaches to you. Yeah. Because it's hard to get coaches here. It's hard to get coaches in the Midwest. It really is hard to get them. Uh, you know, you have to go out east a lot of times to see them. You brought a pack of coaches into, was it at DCDS? Yeah, it was. Okay. Well, I'd like you to explain, tell, and, and this is a model that could be, that could be, if you have the connections, that could be duplicated. Or it could be made even bigger, but I'd like you to I'd like you to tell what you guys did. So I'll tell you why, Jake. De- so Jake, Derek, and I we drove out. We drive out to the events in the summertime, and usually I stay out. My family's out east, so I stay out, and and then I stay for the summer. But you know, I'd I'd share with those two in the car just my frustration with the timeline because there was a kid in our program, phenomenal student interested in a very selective school and could is going to another very selective school in that same conference. And I was talking to the coach all summer, had it teed up for him. And then I spoke to him after July 4th and like, Hey, I just wanted to check. He's like, we're, we're done. He's like, we're, we're done with twenties. It's over for us. We're looking at 21s now. I'm like, how did that happen? He's just like, it happened. Like, this, I've got to move quickly on people I know or have seen. So we said, listen, we have got to identify schools on the lists of the kids in our program 
we have to make sure those schools see our kids first. And it's a, for us an interest of full disclosure. It was a separate cost. It wasn't built into our program because of the expense associated with running the event. Those aren't cheap to do. They're, those aren't cheap to do, right? They're, they just, they, they, they're going to cost you. But again, our mission is to find kids' homes. That's all we care about. If we're going to take a loss on an event, it's going to be a loss leader. It will be a loss leader for us. So we do it better next time, become more efficient so we don't lose money because you don't want to lose money doing anything. But it's expensive. But there were kids who got interest from programs at the event because they're seen first. And now they go into the summer. We're going to do it, Mike. We're doing it in the summer. We're doing it again. But it's a separate cost because we got to pay the guys to be there. And it isn't pay to play because they may not like the guys there, but at least they may like someone whom they see, right? So you, they see you before the summer starts. And after they see you that first time, it either says to them, we like this kid. We only need to see him play one more time. And then we want to get him up for a visit against some other kids. And that's it. But we like what we see enough for him to be on our board. So what does that do for our families? That means instead of going to four events in the summer, we may only have to do two events. How much money do you save? Several thousand bucks. How much can we reduce our fees? We can reduce our fees. And again, we're not a registration-based model, right? We're not trying to get as many kids in the program and, and buy, another, buy another house, right? That's not, that's not how we operate. Like we want to get guys placed so we can, and parents have said that would be a dream come true. Two events, that showcase camp, and then I can set up either prospect days or unofficial visits or official visits. So that is how we're trying to hack this model of recruiting, doing less by being more proactive. I agree with that. And this was something I was talking about last week was uh, we, I don't need to bring up the whole box talk again but i was saying box is very important that can be the thing that differentiates the midwest is is becoming more ingrained in box cut out two of those east coast trips they're not all the same <laughs> they're not all the same uh, mike mike those trips are hard man those are hard for people in the midwest they don't live oh. they don't live in philadelphia you don't live in boston it's people taking time off from work those are those are expensive weekends for people oh, and yeah. we, we we said to a dad, with this dad, a guy called me, and he doesn't play for us. He's like, so this costs 370-something. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that's a lot. I said, okay, okay, my man, do this for me. How much does it cost to fly out to Philadelphia for you and your son? Is it cost this? How much would a hotel room cost? Cost this. How much would a rental car cost? It cost this. How much is the registration for the camp cost? It would cost this. Give me that, give me that number right now. He's like, that's that's. $1,300. I said, all right, my man. And how many schools are going to be at that event you're going to? He's like, one. I said, all right. This event costs three seventy-five. dollars Your son's in his own bed. There are eight of his target schools. And I can go and talk to those guys. This kid, these are his grades. This is what high school he goes to. Here's his high school coach information. Here's his club coach's information. I don't work with him. He's like, oh, man. Oh. He's like, that makes sense, Chris. I'm like, I said, I know. I said, I know it makes sense. Like, that's what we're doing. He's like, oh, man, I appreciate that. I was like, you have to thank me. Just sign your son up. You know, that's all you got to do. He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. So you got to be a little, I think you got to be a little bit smarter. I think we all can, you know, we don't like going to four events. We don't. Parents don't like doing it. 
right? If we can be smarter, why shouldn't we be smarter? Why shouldn't we save people money? Why can't, why should we reduce our fees? Right? Yeah. Well, I think this is a model. And again, I think this is a model that could be duplicated by other programs if they have the proper connections or call me crazy. And I, again, this is a parent speaking to a, to someone who's a club uh, director is I think, I think Midwest clubs could work together. Uh, I, I think they can, they can, they can have this kind of thing on a larger scale. I know your day was open to anybody, right? For it's, it was open to everybody. We, and, and we had important. mostly our guys, but right. you, 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 Mike, you know, listen, man, you, you know, this as well as I do, you know, it better than I do. There are people who think, well, if I go to this person's event, they have my kid's email address. They're going to try to take a kid from my program. I said, no, that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Um, you know, but if a kid decides to leave your program, then he's not really yours. He doesn't belong to you. Uh, if a kid decides to go to another team, that's that's okay. We've had kids leave. I don't get better than shit about that. We've had, Listen, Mike, we've had kids leave. To play for Midwest Express. That's a great decision. It's a Mark's doing some great stuff. I got no. If they want, if they ever needed my help, I'd I'd help them. I would help them, right? That's not. We're not that. We're not petty. You know, we try to be. I think adults about it, and I don't think there are enough adults in this business. I just don't think there are. I'm not. I'm not patting myself on the back. I just think, hey, this is the way it is. Sometimes, you know, Indianapolis is a great option for some kids. Some kids down there still play for us. We get that. We know we'll have fewer kids from down there moving forward. We understand that. We welcome it. We know if you have a great option in your backyard, use that option. But we should work together. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I am open to working with people. But All right, you're back? Yeah, I'm back. Okay. Well, I don't know where it left off because my anchor is uh, not working real well. But I will be able to figure it out and do it. It was just we were coming to the end of um, talking about having these play days and working with other programs, or how you're how you're not against it and how you're with these programs or to, to help them. Because I think at the end, and and I'm a parent coming from a parent. You're a coach coming from a coach. These are I think these are two good things to be talking about. As I've said about box and saying this should be a, a mandatory thing, parents. I want to help educate parents saying four trips out East isn't, 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 isn't the model. I don't think it's the model for, for the Midwest. Um, I think the model for the Midwest is go out there for two tournaments, whatever they might be, and then do the recruiting events like you have had. I think those should be more. I think I'd love to see more coaches come. I would love to try to do a Miami football thing and say, this is the state of the Midwest and have, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Bellarmine, Detroit Mercy, uh, Marquette. Just say we're just going to just we're going to own the Midwest. All the D three and D schools here. There's a lot of programs in the Midwest. Maybe you could even include Penn State. I, you know what? But I would like to sit there and say let's uh, relationships need to be made with those people. I mean the the the, the North Coast Atlantic Conference is that the, the in the Midwest the the Denisons and the Kenyans and the Ohio Wesleyans. Those are great schools to go to for lacrosse. I don't think people, yeah, I'm, I, that's, I don't think people realize that. 
I mean, people in Ohio know it, okay? People in Ohio know it. They're going to Wittenberg. They're doing this. When I see kids in, 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 in Indiana, and I'm like, well, have you looked at DePaul? And they're like, no. I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, great school, great campus, uh, up-and-coming program, and a great conference. What about Illinois Wesleyan? Yeah, that's another one. I, I've just talked with three people who have now have been um, – I think they've talked with the coach or they're looking into it. So he's doing something. He's, he's getting out there to some people, or I don't know if it's you getting out there or something. That's what that's Mike. That's why I invited him to that showcase because he's doing something awesome out there. He's done some great work out there. And I want our guys to be exposed to him. So, you know, I, Mike, I agree with you. We just got to work together a little bit better. We have to figure that out. I mean, it's people got to sit down, iron out some differences and, and let's be real. There are some differences that have to be ironed out. This isn't about competing for kids, philosophical differences, uh, affordability. And, you know, there are people that I'd love to work with. You know, Mark Brudich is a great guy. Uh, would love to work more closely with him. He's certainly supported that event we put on in, in Detroit metro area. Some of his got some kids who play for him came up, which was awesome. The kids who used to play for us. But we can figure this out. I mean, we're we're adults. I mean, at the end of the day, we just want to do the right thing by the kids in the area, improve the sport, and I think that's how we do it. But also, when people see the Cherries doing something like this, they should get involved. Right? They should get involved. If, if it's affordable, it feels like it makes sense, you should do it. Yes, totally, absolutely. And then another thing that I know that's going on for parents, too, there are all sorts of websites now um, where you could put in your information, you could put your videos, you could put everything – and they go, coaches can see it. And I know kids, I know one kid for sure that I personally know who went to, who is now at Bucknell. And the, the Bucknell coach never saw him in person, ever. Just saw him on, just saw him on, uh, on, on tape and, and he got a, you know, offer. Um, so that's a very important tool, especially for people who aren't going to, you're not going to see coaches on the sideline standing at your high school game. It's not going to happen. Not, not, our, not Mike, that's not happening in our region of the country. Yeah, it's not, not here. Not here. Some uh, I mean, D, maybe, for some D3s, maybe, but let's be real. I mean, Ohio State, maybe. Michigan, maybe, right? But just in general, John Donowski's not going to be at Carmel versus Cathedral. He's not going to be there. No, no. You know, but again, right. So that's, you know, so it, when I – the whole point is, is, is the rising tide lifts all boats is if you start putting kids in big programs from the Midwest, they're going to start looking at more kids from the Midwest. So it's in the best. Uh, it's the best for these programs to all work together because it'll only help them. It only helps them helping us. So um, I hope that, you know, a little bit of the recruiting thing, uh, that's a whole nother show. I mean, it's because there's so many different things to go about it. Uh, but I want to move on to the next one. Another person called and asked about statistics. Now, you're a coach, and I'm not. But I recall, <laughs> but I recall when kids were playing in eighth grade, there was a guy sitting next to me taking every single stat in eighth grade. And he's like, why aren't you taking this stat? And I said, what, I said what, what do you need me to take a stat for? He's like, He's like, so the coach knows, you know, so the high school coach knows all the, the, the stats for next year. And I said, 
the high school coach could look at a player and tell you if the player is good enough to be on the team. He doesn't need a piece of paper telling him. That's almost my thought all the time. You could have gotten six ground balls. The coach is going to know you got six. He's going to remember the one you missed. So I know there's a lot of analytic people there. That's never been my thing. So I wanted to take it to you. How do you use stats? What ones do you – what were the most important ones to you? I mean, my stat is uh, how many goals you had and how many goals the other team had. And the one that had the more goals is the better stats. Mike, so. you're you're a dinosaur, man. Come on. <laughs> you got to be kidding me with that comment. Uh, I like that's, it. that's crazy, Mike. I'm that's, a parent. I'm watching. That's, that's, hilarious. that's hilarious. So this is the part of the conversation I've really been looking forward to. I, I am really fortunate, very fortunate, to be friends with Patrick McEwen, Joe Keegan and Brian Coughlin, those are probably three people who've had the greatest impact on my coaching in, in many years because they've, we've had conversations about analytics and how to use them. And I would have text, text threads with Patrick, Brian, and Joe about what I should be doing at practice, what statistics I should be using, and uh, how I, how that can help me become better. If you're not using this information, you're not going to help yourself get better as a coach. And there's so much to do and so much to learn. And there are, I don't think they're up there anymore, but U.S. Lacrosse used to host its convention kind of MP4s and videos on a different site. I think they still have them. I used to, I used to own them. Dave Huntley put on a lacrosse by the numbers uh, presentation every year. Not every year, but he did it pretty often it was an unbelievable presentation right he said a lot of things that maybe people would find controversial who listen to this podcast for instance he would say he said years ago emo fast breaks those things are overrated right think about the time you spend on emo and fast breaks in practice when those traditional 4v3 breaks happen so very rarely in lacrosse right so if you're a coach like i do fast breaks why are you doing them be able to explain why are you doing in practice? What drills are you doing? And anytime you do a drill, you're making a sacrifice, but is the sacrifice worth it? So why would Jeff Colbert and I, we plan our practices and we use some advanced analytics when we think about practice preparation as, as one should. Another example, it's like facing off, you know, you, you just don't want to be bad at facing off because it's, it's mostly a weighted coin flip. It's a mostly a coin flip. Right. You, if you're between 40, 41 and 45 percent, you'll, you'll probably be all right. You just want to be below that 41 percent threshold. Then you're going to be bad. You're going to lose. You're going to lose games. So you just want to be average, slightly below average. Right. So what things are important? Uh, and I think if you're a, a coach, this is all stuff I've learned from my friends, all things I believe are true uh, based on presentations. They've given information they've shared with me. Shooting percentage. You've got to shoot the ball on cage, make the goalie make saves. Uh, and you, you mentioned something earlier. Uh, what about that ground ball someone missed? What about the clean save the goalie made on the shot? Sometimes kids get away with mistakes like that where I've heard coaches say, I don't care you missed a ground ball. We just want you to compete for the next one. And that's a better thing to tell a kid at practice because sometimes they get away with taking bad shots 
low percent and clean saves that are turnovers and turnovers bad. You know, I've also heard people say, uh, this, let's spin the ball. Uh, let's get a, <laughs> let's get a good shot. Well, I would, I always question, Hey, when do you score goals? Is it in the first 30 seconds, the first 40 seconds, 50 seconds, 60 seconds, 70 seconds, 80 seconds? So you just can't say something without having enough evidence to prove it. What if your team plays fast and they're more efficient that way, right? How do you know? Yeah. Clearing percentage matters, right? Because you have to clear the ball and ground balls matter. So if I'm a coach, high school coach, college coaches can do, have more time access to this data. Shooting percentage, clearing percentage, plus foreign ground balls, right? And Brandon Childs gave a presentation a couple of years ago at IMLCA, shots on goal percentage. He measures it in every drill. He had a little piece of paper, shots on goal percentage. That's it. And and, and he'll say, well, we got it, boys. Moving on to the next one, right? And look at your college and their success. So if Brandon Childs is doing something, you should also be doing it. Perfect. Well, I love that. I mean, again, like I said, I'm not a coach. (laughs) And and, and I like to say the only thing, like who is getting – who is doing your statistics? So who do you have? We we getting we use crossover huddle. We're fortunate, so, and this and I I think I, I've mentioned this to people before. You know, they they want to buy like team sweatsuits, and they want to buy team apparel, and they're do, and like listen, you know what you need? You need an HD camera. You need huddle or crossover to upload your film and break it down for you. Like, those are the things you need. You need lacrosse balls. You don't, you don't need all the apparel. You don't need any of that stuff. You need those things going to make you better, you know? And there's another – I don't know this isn't a plug for this, but the uh, Jamie Morell's coaching program, he had Michael Malbassian. He's a guy that's done a lot of work with analytics. He's spoken a lot about this topic. You could find some of his work online. It's really, really good. It's really informative. So people should follow Joe Keegan on Twitter. People should follow – Patrick McEwen on Twitter. You should follow Brian Coughlin on Twitter. These people are putting things out all the time about analytics and lacrosse. And uh, honestly, it's so worthwhile. It's so important to just look at some of that data, you know, cause turnovers. Like that isn't a statistic that matters. Like as a defenseman, it doesn't matter because sometimes you just don't have a guy who can take the ball away. One thing that's pretty controversial, save percentage, Right. It's that's a reflection about how bad your defense is, not necessarily a reflection about how good your goalie is. <laughs> so and people and people won't like to hear that. Someone will say, I disagree with Chris, and I'll say, That's fine. Let me show you the data. I will show you the data to prove that. About how that correlates to win percentage. About how being good at extra man isn't really a good use of your time. About how being good at man down. You know, it's nice, but it's not going to lose you games. You know, you can be awful at man down. It's probably not going to hurt you. So why should, should you spend a ton of time doing EMO and man down? Maybe not. Maybe not. Right. And so you use that for your, your practice sessions. That's all you're, you're using your practice sessions. It's, it's, it's streamlining your practice. It's, I mean, it's, it's in the theory of it. It sounds great, actually. I mean, yeah, it, it makes you 
it make you know the hour hour and a half two hours you have it makes it an important hour hour and a half two hours that you have i mean that's it sounds great so you brought up the the this like uh, listen we're on the same page about box and cross you and i are we're, we're right there and swimming lap well why are these canadians such efficient shooters why are they so good why are their hands so good why do they score so much more frequently than American players? Why do they shoot at a higher percentage? Well, it isn't just box lacrosse. It's shooting on a smaller cage against a goalie taking up most of the goal, and their <laughs> stick is on their natural side. For example, you'll watch a lot of games this spring. You'll see a team's big midi dodging down the alley, getting a shot off, and be like, oh, he got so close. Like, what good is that? What good is a guy getting close when his shot's not on his natural side? He's losing the angle. He throws that at the goalie. The goalie makes a clean save. That's one of the worst shots in lacrosse. You shoot about 20% on that shot. You shoot a higher percentage off wing shots on your natural side, using picks that get you to your natural side. So that's what I've learned. Those are things we try to do. We had a team with, Mike, 23 guys. We had four injuries in our lap. We played with five short sticks, and we almost went to the final four. Why? Great assistant coaches, awesome kids who believed in what we were doing, and the use of analytics. The kids didn't know. We don't tell them, right? But we're like, this is how we've got to script out practice in order to make most of what we have, right? This is what we do uh, and why we do it. Why do we run a 10-man? We want to reduce the, reduce the number of clears the other team has. We want to get the ball back. Why do we want to do that? We're not deep in the midfield. Right, we need to generate turnovers, and it happened years ago. We played boys Latin, uh, and we were about a game from the game from sort of making the playoffs. We had to win the game to stay in contention. We're like, what are we gonna do? We're like ten man ride. They're not expecting us to do it. They're not prepared for it, and we're not gonna let. Also, if they get it, we're not gonna let their best guy touch the ball. I told the coach, listen, they they score more when he touches the ball. Like when Chris Brandow or Matt Brandow gets the ball, he's at Yale. He gets the ball. They score. He does dangerous things. Don't let him get it. We're not letting him touch the ball. Look at what they do when he doesn't touch it. They score at a lower percentage. When he touches it, score at a higher percentage. You know, I don't think I've, – I've saw I've heard Dom say this when Shamel and Rommel were asked to lead the team of Virginia and they won a national championship. I think Mark Van Arsdale, I think the story goes like this. He said, no one shoots it until Steele Stanwick touches the ball. He said that. He said that at, at camp years ago. But there's a reason why I said it. He had probably noticed something. And Mark's an incredibly bright person. He's incredibly bright. Um, he, he picked on something intuitively. Oh, when he gets the ball, he makes better decisions than anyone else. Right? We're more likely to score after he touches it or after a steel stamping makes a decision rather than a midfielder coming down in an alley dodge on his unnatural side. So there's a lot to learn out there. But the great thing is, Mike, there's so many resources. And again, Joe Keegan, Patrick McEwen, Brian Coughlin, uh, these archive presentations by Dave Huntley. I believe the guy's name is Jesse McNulty. He works for the Blaze or Philadelphia Blaze now. He does a lot of work with advanced analytics, but you don't have to do the advanced stuff. Shooting percentage, shots on goal percentage, clear percentage, you know, offensive efficiency, and then figuring out, man, we're scoring in 50 seconds. So when we get over a minute, we're going to probably turn the ball over. Let's start thinking about what we got to do next, you know? That's great stuff. That's great stuff right there. That, I mean, if, if for coaches who are listening, and this isn't part of your arsenal, 
Well, you just got a, a, a quick tutorial on how it works. It, it sounds it sounds great. I mean, you know, again, I am a dinosaur, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> you are. You. I mean, I listen, man. I remember being told, and or I was talking to my assistant coach, and um, we had a, a turnover issue, and this is pretty controversial because Patrick McEwen talked about this about wall ball, where people think wall ball is the cure for all turnover evils. And it isn't, Mike. It's not. Just going out and throwing a ball against the wall isn't going to help you turn the ball over less. Now, I'm not saying there isn't value in it, Mike. There's value in that. There is. There's tremendous value in it, right? But what if you're doing it wrong? So you're getting thousands of reps that are done incorrectly, right? Okay, what if you're doing it right? Maybe you see some benefit. People have talked about things like playing keep away, monkey in the middle. Why would that be better? Well, turnovers are mostly attributed to maybe bad timing, uh, lack of ability to move a defender, lack of ability to throw fakes. What does keep away do? 3v2, 2v1. You have to throw fakes, move your feet, and there's a defender there. It's like, on Twitter and, and, you know, all over Instagram, you see these basketball trainers who have kids dribbling against chairs and cones. Mike, last time I checked in the NBA, there aren't <laughs> chairs out there, right? I don't see people, you know, dribbling against stationary chairs. Like, there's an actual kid out there who's defending you, and if you don't play against other kids, you're not going to be able to beat someone off the dribble. It's like, why are New York City point guards all the rage back in the day? Because – you're on a court. You can't shoot a jump shot. They're double rims. You've got to get to the hole. You've got to be able to get to the rack. You know, why are kids from Indiana great jump shooters? They play in gyms. It's in the Midwest. you got to play inside. You want to play basketball? You can shoot. You're playing on a nice, soft rim in a nice, well-heated, lit gym. Of course you can shoot the ball, you know? Makes sense, right? Makes perfect it sense. Makes total it sense. makes sense. Like, you, you know, why are California kids – Playing outside, you know, they get to the rack. They're they're multifaceted. Play. They're playing all year round. Um, so it's interesting. I just definitely think those guys have taught me everything. Everything. You follow. You got to follow them. You have to follow them. Like I do follow them. They are so. I'm telling you, if you you should interview Joe Keegan, and I would. Anytime he talks. I stop what I'm doing. I have a notepad of everything he says. He will fundamentally change how you view the game. Everything he's taught me, natural shots, wing play, pick play, like it's what we do at my school. It's what we do. That's great. He's the best. Again, coaches coaches who listen, I mean, this is just another another tool. I really, I, I think this is, I, you've changed my mind on it. Now I have to look into this stuff more. You got to contact you know? Joe. Mc, McEwen's great too. McEwen, uh, he'll tell, he, he has things, he'll say things that will challenge you in a way you've never felt challenged before and it isn't personal. It just isn't. And you think, I've never thought about it that way. And he's thought about all these things in this way and you're wondering, man, I've, I've got to figure out a way to do this. And it may be everything, but he'll tell you, like, maybe that's not really a good use of your time at practice. And I'm like, that's a valid point. It's a, he, I, he may, and again, those, those three have been awesome.
You know, he's uh, Brian Coughlin years ago. He asked me, he's like, hey, can you guess the correlation between the budget of a men's lacrosse program and their winning percentage? And I said, well, clearly, if you have more money to spend, you're going to be better. He's like, yes. So the teams with the higher budgets are the teams who are winning more. And there are some teams that overachieve. Why are those teams doing better? Recruiting budgets. They can travel. They can see more kids. Not necessarily the quality of the coaches. The more money you have, the better you're likely to be. He has the data going back for years, and there's a strong correlation. It's pretty amazing stuff. Numbers usually bore me as I was a commodity trader for 15 years. So I'm, I'm done. I used to do technical models and then, you know, just feel the market. This is like technical. It's an it's an important thing, and if you're following it, then it, it's then you have to follow it. But you don't make a mistake if you're following the same thing and you're doing it. I think it's an important thing that you've just brought up. I think it's a great question. I didn't think it was going to be that good of a question coming here, um, but the the person who who asked it, I think, should be very happy with this answer. Oh. I think this is a great a great thing. I, I think you might know the person. I don't. I'm not sure. Uh, I think he's one of your followers, um, but. I can't, I can't thank you enough for bringing that up. I, I really like. I mean, you've you've made a believer out it, of me. Now I'm going to. Now I'm going to be watching everything like this. It, it is when I watch games when they're done being written up. I check the box scores. The first thing I do, I check the stats of teams they post, clearing percentage, riding percentage. You know, riding. You know, it, it's less important now with the shot clock than you. Actually, it's more important now. Uh, used to not be that important. Uh, riding matters. So all these things uh, that are changing in our game, not necessarily high school because we don't have a shot clock, but it's, it's important to be aware of and how they can change practices. But the biggest thing, and, and coaches say this all the time, well, we're, we're just going to shoot. We're a bad shooting team. We're just going to shoot more. And that's the wrong – Mike, that's the wrong answer. you got to shoot more on a goalie you got to get shots on your natural side. You have to get shots where you shoot a higher percentage. So your offense has got to change, right? All and all, and These are all conversations I've had when people said, ah, I can tell you why you're not scoring. You're taking bad shots. I'm like, what are you talking about? That was a great shot. I'm like, well, Chris, let me show you the numbers here. I'm like, you're right. That's a bad shot. That's a bad <laughs> shot. I really do hope that th- this becomes a change here. I mean, I, I don't want to knock the Midwest as a whole, and I don't want to say that. But there are some like 1980s style play here, you know, the stuff that I was watching years and years ago in, in Long Island where I'm like, yeah, that was cool then. And now I'm like, I'm seeing the same thing, the same practices, the same terminology. I think this is a game changer. And, and, and again, you've literally just sold me on it. I can't I can't stress enough. I mean, it's just one more thing I'm going to have to I. Me trying to watch games, keep track of all the players and all that stuff, my head explodes. Again, I'm writing it all down, old school, dinosaur-like. I, I haven't grasped the technology where I trust myself with it yet. There's, um, there's, so, there's is- so much help available to us now. Coaches are becoming way more open, inviting people to campus, You know, giving people time in their film with their teams about much information out there. You're right, it, it's daunting that way sometimes you know um so i think for coaches who want to get better there are so many resources available to you out there imlca us us lacrosse convention regional conventions coaches you can speak to 
you know, people you know, people who are doing things differently, people who are experimenting with different styles of play. Uh, I think you got to watch a ton of film. You know, I, I mean, I'm fortunate. I, I watch anything on YouTube. People send me videos sometimes. So anything you can do to get your hands on more film, anything you can do to watch the game more. We're watching the NLL, you know. You talked about box lacrosse, and box lacrosse has had a great influence on field lacrosse, but a lot of people don't know how to coach box lacrosse. They don't know the first thing about it. There are resources available, you know. We're lucky in the Midwest. We're not too far from Windsor, not too far from the Windsor Clippers, not far from really good junior B lacrosse. We're not far from good junior A lacrosse, and NLL is on TV. Um, you know, if a club program doesn't have a ton of experience with box lacrosse, you can call those people, pay them to come down and teach the stuff to you, right? If you're going to have a box program, why not say, let's have a sweet box program. It's going to cost this much to bring these guys down here. We'll have them down for a weekend. We'll have them teach us the game in 72 hours. We'll invite them back. We'll give them this much. It'll make our program better. And then people will say, yeah, you're right. That's awesome. Let's do that. Let's do more of that stuff, you know? This is what I was preaching last week. This, this is, these are all, these are all the good points. And again, I, I think everyone should take this to heart. And, and, I, and I'm glad that, I'm glad that we got some of these issues out. I'm glad that we got to talk about this stuff. Uh, I want to wrap up. I, you know, people probably have driven home and turned us off by now. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I do want to say I, I enjoyed my time. I always enjoy listening to what you have to say. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I know you will be coming on quite a bit. I, I like having you on. Um, so I just want to say thanks. I want to appreciate it. And, and we will uh, talk to you the next time. Yeah, Mike, great seeing you. I'll see you at the Resolute Box event in CBUS this weekend. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I think, too, to leave people, again, one thing to think about, just uh, do the next right thing. And in light of MLK Day and changing our game, what can your son, his high school coach, your family do? That's the next right thing for our game. And that's been my that's my guiding light. What can I do? That's the next right thing in my life. And that's all I can really control. Well, thank you. Thank you, coach. I appreciate it. All right, it. take care, Mike.